Good morning. Great. It's great to be up here, um, especially as I'm in my own clothes. I've had recurring dreams all week that I'll be up here dressed as Elvis. So um, it's great to be able to preach as myself this morning, which is great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Christmas. It is Christmas. Do you know why it's scary? The nine o'clock are actually more excited about Christmas than you guys. Okay, it's Christmas. That's better. Okay, I can hear all the teachers screaming loudly there. Is it? That's it for us. No more children. Um, but what do you think of when you think of Christmas? Um, I'm, I'm a very visual learner, and so when I think of Christmas, loads of images come in my mind, and I wonder what images would come up in your mind if you think of Christmas. Um, have you ever asked children a question that you really wish you hadn't asked? Um, I'm a primary school teacher, for those of you that don't know, and I asked my class of seven and eight-year-olds if they could draw one image that would represent Christmas, what would they draw? Um, which was a very interesting question. And we're going to look at some of the pictures that they've drawn. But just before we do, let me put my class into a bit of context for you here. Um, I shaved, I, I had a goatee beard, for those of you that didn't realise, and I had it for about seven years, seven, eight years. And I shaved it off to do Elvis last week. And I went into school, freshly shaven, and one of the children looked me up and down and went, Mr. Robinson, there's something different about you. And I was like, yep. And you know that pause when someone looks at you with that really long look and the child looked me up and down a good couple of times. And they went, have you got a different coat on? <laughs> and that was worrying enough, but the fact I wasn't wearing a coat I think was even more scarier. Um, so these are the children that I teach, and they're a very odd bunch, but I love them to pieces. So I asked them if they could draw one image that would represent Christmas, what would they draw? So this is the first one. Here we go. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Deer. I know the spelling mistakes. That's the first thing I've got to worry about. Please note it's not a reindeer. I did ask my child, why is it not a reindeer? And they went, well, reindeers aren't real, are they? But deers are. I... <laughs> what do you do with that? And to be honest, I was ready to challenge this child on their deer and reindeer knowledge when I saw the child sat on the same table had drawn the next image. There we go. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, again, more spelling mistakes, but at least it's a reindeer. Now, where do you, where do you start with this image? Um, I asked the child, why has Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer got wings? And he's like, well, how else is the reindeer going to fly? Which I thought was a very valid, valid, valid answer. But then the question that I had to follow up with then, why are the wings blue? And he's like, well... They're dragon wings, aren't they? Because birds' wings won't keep them up all night. So apparently, all flying reindeer have dragon wings. And when you're faced with that sort of knowledge, the argument's over. You just sort of go, okay, <laughs> great. So the next one, here we go. Santa's sleigh. Love Santa's sleigh. Even the little label in the corner, just in case I didn't know. Sleigh with an arrow. Um, I did ask this child why he didn't draw Santa. And he said, well, he's never seen Santa, but he sees sleighs around all the shopping centres like Merry Hill, so that's the truest image of Christmas he has, which, again, I couldn't argue with him on it. If we go on to the next one, there we go, I love this one, three snowmen. Now, these were done by three different children that were sat in different places around the classroom. And one thing I've noticed, they've all got stripy scarves. And so I actually asked my class, why on earth have all the snowmen got stripy scarves? And the children said, well, those are the rules, aren't they? There's rules? There's rules to drawing snowmen? And I said, yeah, 
They said, well, Santa won't let them in the North Pole if they haven't got a stripy scarf. <laughs> Again, where do you address that? So I, I just agreed to agree with them. And uh, yeah, if you ever make a snowman, please make sure it's got a stripy scarf so it can get into the North Pole on Christmas. Um, but those are the images that my children came up with, and there was lots more that were very, very, too, very strange and wonderful, too wonderful to really share. So, um, But sometimes it's not those images. Sometimes the image that we associate with Christmas is the next one, which is the nativity scene. And it's one that just looks so beautiful. It's so happy. It's so calm. You can see the smiles. You can see the shafts of light coming down from the sky. It looks so brilliant. You've got your man with a recorder which I remember from every nativity story as somebody was there playing a recorder in the corner. Um, but this is the image that some people have when they think of Christmas. But for me, it's not this image that I think of when I think of Christmas. And it's not what I'll be talking about this morning. It's all of the moments that lead up to this moment. And if you look really closely at the moments that lead up to this, it's one that's filled with so many emotional moments of human interaction with God, human desperation, humans reaching out to God in their times of need and God answering them. And it's these moments that I really feel that we should look at this morning, especially Mary and Joseph. Where were they when they were on this journey? Where were they emotionally? Where were they spiritually? Where were they with each other? Now, the Bible plots these points really fantastically, and we're going to look at these individual Christmas moments, these points on their journey that lead up to the nativity scene. Strangely enough, the nativity story doesn't start with Mary or Joseph. It starts with a woman called Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah. So who are these people? Well, looking in your Bible, Luke 1, verses 5 to 7, says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all God's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So our nativity story there starts with a moment of sadness, with a couple who, whilst they're close to God, are unable to conceive. Now, they must have wanted a child, otherwise I don't think it would have mentioned that fact in the scripture. But what I love it is the fact that even despite of this, they were still righteous and followed God blamelessly. I love that statement. A couple who, in the face of great adversity in their life and with some issues going on, they still remained close to God. So what happens with Elizabeth and Zechariah? Well, in Luke 1, verses 11 to 13, it tells us that Zechariah went to the temple to pray. And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And I love that. That's our first real Christmas moment. At old, at old age, a real faithful servant hears that God is going to bless them with a son. We have a point of God directly intervening in a difficult situation. And I'm assuming that this is what Zechariah was in the temple praying for because the, the angel even says that your prayer has been heard and it goes on the bible goes on to show how much this moment means to Zechariah because it says in verse 22 how he reacted and I think this reaction is brilliant when he came out he couldn't speak he real, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak can you just picture that in your heads Zechariah coming out of a temple 
seeing all the people having this message from God, but being so blown away from it, he's unable to speak. But not only that, he still wants to tell people what this message is. So what does he do? He tries to make signs to tell them what's just happened. Now, at nine o'clock, I actually tried to mime this out, but I am not an actor, okay? But can you imagine someone acting out an angel's just spoken to me and given me a baby. This guy is so moved, he wants to share it, and he wants to share it, and he's beyond words. What an amazing moment. A moment of great sadness turned into a real blessing. A moment where in the face of real adversity, people are remaining faithful to God. They'd stuck with God through the difficult times, and yet God remained faithful to them. And then it's here in the story that our attentions are turned to Mary and Joseph. And our introduction to Mary and Joseph is much shorter and to the point. Luke 1 verse 27 says, A virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. That's it. It's not much of an introduction, is it? I mean, at least with Zechariah and Elizabeth, we get a bit of the background of who they are. But not for Mary. Mary, you just get two pieces of information. Number one, she was a virgin. Number two, she was engaged to Joseph, and that's it. There's nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing extra. She's just a normal woman in her time who's there to be engaged. And the scripture makes sure that that's how we see Mary. No added extras. That's just who she is. So how would she be feeling at this point? I'm pretty certain she would have felt normal, just like an ordinary person in her situation. Just coming in, she's fine, she's engaged to be married and moving on with her life. Things seem absolutely fine for her. We do, though, have a bit of information on Joseph, and this is really important. We find out that Joseph is a descendant of David. Now, that's, as I say, that's really key, because actually, the fact he's a descendant of David gives credibility of what's going to happen. The child of this couple will be in the line of King David, just as the scriptures tell us that the Son of God will come from the line of David. Joseph isn't an add-on in this situation. This helps give validity to who Jesus is. So what about this engaged couple? What is the first moment we hear about for them? Well, Luke 1, verses 26 to 35 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And I love that Christmas moment. An angel appears and tells Mary that she's going to have a baby. And not only that, but this baby is going to be the Son of God. Just take a moment and think about that. That one incident. I mean, the angel, she's there, Mary, and the angel just appears. And what's Mary's first reaction 
The scriptures say that she's troubled. If you look in the New Living Translation, it says that Mary's confused and disturbed. And I'm pretty certain if I was sitting at home and an angel just turned up in my house confused and disturbed, probably wouldn't describe it accurately. <laughs> what a moment. And then she's there. She's confused, she's disturbed, she's troubled. And the news that she receives that she is going to bear a child and this child is going to be the son of God. How do you deal with that? An angel in your house telling you that you're going to have a child that's the son of God. For me, I'd probably be disbelief, shock, (laughs) complete dismay at what's going to happen. But what does Mary's response? She says, how will this be? How? She's so practical. (laughs) I literally would have been, what, me? Why have you chosen me? And literally already pushing it back and saying, no, I don't want this. But she doesn't. She just says, how is this going to happen? So practical. And so the angel explains how it's going to happen. And again explains that this is going to be the son of God. And again, can you begin to think what the look on Mary's face is as the angel is speaking to her? Do you think she's sitting there all calmly and serenely going, this is great? Or do you think it's more of a look of, you what? I want to have the Son of God. Shock. Disbelief. This is a moment that's going to completely change her life and turn her world upside down. And then the follow-on thought now is actually, if this is the Son of God I'm giving birth to, it's not going to just turn her world upside down, but of the whole world. Something's going to change everything forever. And I can imagine when that thought starts to sink in, Mary's going to start to get a bit worried. And it's like the angel has already known that this is going to happen. And the angel goes on to say in verses 36 and 37, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. It's like the angel knew Mary was going to begin to um, panic and worry and disbelieve and so the angel throws in this nugget of course Mary would have known about Elizabeth she was a relative she would have known about the angel appearing to Zachariah and giving them a son it's a moment of reassurance of this is going to happen and this is God's will those words for no word from God will ever fail it's a moment of reassurance from the angel that what has spoken will happen if this had happened to Elizabeth why couldn't and wouldn't God, do this with Mary. It's a moment of fear. It's a moment of shock, disbelief. But it's also a moment of complete love and reassurance at the news that the Son of God is going to be born. And Mary will carry it. Now, how would Mary have felt at this point? Now, as humans, most of us are really blessed with the skill of empathy. Um, Some of us better than others. If you did the strength finder, some of you will be really up there. Uh, For Liz, my wife, she's very, very empathetic. I mean, she has to be married to me. But actually, can we really empathise with Mary? Can we? (laughs) I don't know if I can truly empathise with being told that I'm going to carry the Son of God. But actually, take that thought a little bit further if you're Mary. Not only have you just been told you're going to carry the Son of God, but you've been told that you're going to have a baby and you're not married yet. Which, in this culture, is a huge which in this culture if you are pregnant outside of marriage it would bring shame and disgrace on you and your family from the community I don't think I can empathise with that what great news I'm going to give birth to the son of God but at the same time I've got all these other things that are going on as well 
But then what's Mary's reaction? Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In the face of fear and shock and disbelief, what's her reaction? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Keep thinking about all the times God's come and spoken to me and and asked me to do things. Has my reaction been so clear? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Or how many times do I throw it back and say, I'm not doing that? (laughs) How strong is Mary? How obedient is her? And my hope is that when God speaks to us that we're all the same as what she is. Now, she's got this amazing news. Now, I don't know what you do when you have news, but when I have news, the first person I go and speak to is my wife. I tell her everything. In fact, I can't not tell these things. We've got Christmas coming up and there's presents sitting under the tree and literally Liz has to remind me not to tell her what's in them because I just can't keep things a secret from her. I literally have to discuss everything with her from what I've done that day to what I want for dinner. For this dinner was nice, but if I could have any dinner, I would have had that to the big decisions and prayers in my life. Liz, unfortunately, gets everything that I think about. (laughs) And look at the news Mary's just received. If I was in that situation and God shares stuff with me, I'll go to Liz. So in my head, I'm thinking if I was Mary, who would I go to? I'd probably either go to Joseph or because she's quite young and living with her mum and dad, maybe they'd be the people that she goes to with this news. But then look what happens next. Luke 1 verses 39 to 40. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if I was Mary, the first person I would have gone to would have been Joseph. But this is where there's a bit of cultural difference. And if you look back at the time, what would happen is you'd get engaged and as the woman, you would actually go and live with your mum and dad for a period of 12 months and you wouldn't really see the person that you're getting engaged to. So she wouldn't really go and tell Joseph, actually. But as she's so young, living with her mum and dad, she'd probably go and tell them. But she didn't. Why do you think she didn't tell her mum and dad? Instead, she went straight down to Zachariah and Elizabeth's house. Think about what I said. You're having a baby outside of marriage in this culture. It will bring shame on your family. The community might turn. What would her parents actually say? Would her parents actually be able to understand the situation that she's in? Probably not. So where do you go with this news? Who do you tell? You've just been told you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary knew she had to share it with someone. But the angel had brought up to her Elizabeth and Zachariah, people that had had a very similar situation. Not only that, but they lived in the hill country. Actually, if you look at where they lived, they lived 100 miles away from where Mary was living. So actually, Mary could go somewhere that was completely away from her parents and her community, from the people that she was probably very afraid of that would judge her. She knew that Elizabeth and Zechariah would be able to listen and reassure her because they too had been visited by an angel and had been promised a child. Reassurance. Living 100 miles away, she probably would have taken about a week to get there. Can you imagine all the thoughts that would have gone through her head as she was travelling those 100 miles? She's there seeking for reassurance. And she didn't just stay there and have a cup of tea and ask you know, for some love and for some acceptance. But verse 56 says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Three months. 
This wasn't just a casual visit. She stayed away from her family and her community for three months. What did she do for three months? And then you start to look at the reasoning in her head and things she might have been thinking. Thoughts like, what is she going to tell her parents? Thoughts like, what would the people in the community think about her? What might they say? What might they do to her, to her family? Then what about Joseph? How would she tell Joseph? How would she break the news? What would he do when he found out? The thought that crops up in all of our minds when things get really, really tough of what am I going to do? Mary needs reassurance and time to think. And Elizabeth and Zechariah's place is the perfect place at this point in time for her to go because they're close to being able to empathise with her and she's got a safe distance. But once again, God knows all of our needs and he must have known exactly what Mary was feeling. And once again, he comes in just at the right time to speak to Mary and reassure her when she needs it most. Luke 1, verses 40 to 45 so she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil his promises to her. And I love that. As soon as Mary walks through the door, God acts. She doesn't go in, say hello, sit down, have a cup of tea, have a piece of cake, they catch up and then she breaks the news and then God steps in. No, it's as soon as the greeting is heard, God steps in. At that moment, reassurance, love and acceptance, just when Mary needs it most, she receives it. God knew exactly what she needed and acted through people that she loved. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He will meet all of your needs, even in the tough times. Mary needed reassurance, acceptance and love. And she got it on the spot. And it wasn't just from the people that she loved, but it came from God. God swooped in straight away. And so after three months, what happens? But Mary heads home. And if you think about it, she's been living in the knowledge of this uh, news for three months now. What will she be thinking? She's, her pregnancy is going to be starting to show now. So people are going to know. Her family are going to know. The community is going to know. How would Joseph find out? Who'd tell him? Would Mary tell him? Would the parents tell him? Would he find out from gossip or rumour from the community? However Joseph found out when Mary went home, he didn't react well. Matthew 1 verse 19 says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That's definitely not a verse people associate with the nativity scene that perfect, serene, calm place. But when Joseph finds out, what does he do? He says, yeah, we'll get married, save her some disgrace, but then I'm going to divorce her. When it all blows over. This isn't just a couple having a row. <laughs> this is a bit more, to say the least. This is a man who just found out the woman that he's going to marry is pregnant and he knows he's not the dad. And then what else? But, you know, she says it's the son of God. It's God's child. 
can you imagine the thoughts that are going through Joseph's head at that point, in that moment? Hurt, pain, disbelief, maybe even betrayal. I mean, he was planning to divorce Mary, to completely separate himself from her because of it. And this isn't a pain that we should take lightly. But once again, in the middle of this nativity story, we get just a moment of human pain, human emotional pain. But what happens? Once again, God knows exactly what Joseph needs to bring him back. God knows exactly what Joseph needs to hear and feel. And in Matthew 1, verses 20 to 24... It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. What an amazing moment. Now, the first part of that scripture says, after he had considered this. Now, when you look at what considered means, for me, you consider something, you think on something, you ponder something, you make a decision. But if you look at what the Greek actually means for considered, it's more than just pondering and thinking and making a decision. But it's also to do it out of anger. And that's what the actual Greek translation was, that he made this decision with a spirit of anger in him. It's a double-edged moment. We find out exactly how Joseph feels. And the, the thought of divorce cropped up in his mind, and it cropped up in a spirit of anger. And just as he's about to make that decision, what happens? But God shows up when he needs it most. He knows exactly what to say. He reassures Joseph. He tells Joseph the truth. He tells him not to be afraid and then confirms what happens to Mary. What an amazing moment. Can you imagine Joseph waking up out of that dream and realising that Mary has been true? What emotions? Amazement? Relief? Joy? That idea that Mary has been faithful and truthful to him. If it was me, I'd probably feel a little bit guilty as well after doubting. But whatever it was, it was exactly what Joseph needed. How do we know? He didn't dwell on it. He didn't think on it. He didn't consider anything else. The scripture says he went home and he took her as his wife. He just obeyed God. Things are hard for him. Things were tough. But God spoke and reassured him. And what was Joseph's response? But it was complete obedience. Just like Zachariah, just like Elizabeth, and just like Mary, God shows up and reassures people. And you start to think at this point, surely everything's going to be okay. But then you start to look a bit further and Luke 2 verses 1 to 5 says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was a governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the, house, to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And so there we go. The, the nativity story that we're familiar with starts to come to life. And if you look at verse 5, it says that Mary was expecting a child. Now, if you again look at all the different translations, if you look at the New Living Translation of this, verse 5 doesn't say that. It says Mary was obviously pregnant. 
just live with that a minute. You've got your pregnant people and you've got your obviously pregnant people and you know what obviously pregnant people are like. Now, I've never been obviously pregnant. You'll be pleased to hear. But I'm pretty sure if you tell anyone who's in the obviously pregnant category that they've got to travel unnecessarily for a census, they're not going to be dead chuffed. Now, again, my geography's not great, so I put Nazareth and Bethlehem into Google's route planner to find out exactly what the journey was that they had to go on. And it's 96.3 miles. And if I go by car, it takes me one hour, 50 minutes, which is great for me, but obviously not so great for Mary and Joseph. 96.3 miles. Right, a bit of interaction. Mary and Joseph, they got there by travelling on a... Brilliant, excellent droning. No, a donkey. And I really hope that that part of the story is true. But when you look at the scriptures, there's no donkey. <laughs> Doesn't mention one anywhere. Now, I really hope there was a donkey because it would have saved Mary's legs. It would have saved her strength a bit having to travel 96.3 miles. But I'm pretty certain, and I'm, I'm, I haven't asked any obviously pregnant people this question, but I will. If you had to travel 100 miles on a donkey, being obviously pregnant, how would you feel? <laughs> that would have been a slow journey and a painful journey. But then look at the other side. What if there wasn't a donkey? 96.3 miles and she's obviously pregnant. Can you imagine what Mary and Joseph would have felt at this point? The feeling that they have to go somewhere. I mean, I'm sure they were asking all sorts of questions of God. Why is this happening to us and why now? But what do they do? They just obey and they go. Amazing. And then finally, the last part of our nativity story. And Luke 2, verses 6 to 7, says, Whilst they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. What do you see when you hear and read that verse? Do you see that perfect image of the nativity from the start? Because I really don't. I see a couple who have to go through the birthing process on their own. I see a couple who not only have to go through a birthing process on their own, but they've got no place for themselves. So much so that the only place they can lay their child afterwards is a manger. And again, I don't know what a manger is. In my head, I've got them as these lovely woven baskets that you see babies in. So I did some research on what a manger is. And the Greek for manger has two meanings. And it's either a shelter for animals or a stone trough that animals eat out of. That's not the nicest or cleanest place to give birth. But this is where the Son of God was born. In a place that was suitable really for animals that there was only Mary and Joseph and there was no one really with them. It's a moment. Can you imagine the emotions that they must have gone through on the night that Jesus was born? The fear, the pain, the shock, the fact it's such an adverse situation and yet out of it, we've got the greatest gift of mankind. We've got Jesus. A moment of sheer joy at the end of it. The arrival of the Son of God. And those are the moments I think of when I think of Christmas. I think of a story of God's reassurance and love and acceptance and us receiving the greatest gift of all. But 
to get all these things woven into a human story of emotional and sometimes shock, fear, pain, disbelief, sometimes suffering, lots of questions. But still through it all, God remains faithful. He reassures and loves and cares. And I, I prayed to God and said, God, what, what do we want to take from this? What are you saying to us from all these moments? And I really felt God bring a song into my heart. And this song were like the words of God just falling onto my heart. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you feel really close to God. I don't know if you feel really far away. I don't know if you're a Christian or not. I don't know if actually you're looking forward to Christmas or actually if you're really dreading it. I don't know if you're in that in-between phase of, you're, you know, you're happy that you might be coming through something, but there's some real sadness in your life. Whatever moment you're in right now, I really believe that this is a message for you of God speaking directly into our lives. So I'm just going to invite Gemma to come up. And Gemma's going to play you this song and sing it to you. And really, let this moment be of just God speaking into your heart, regardless of your situation. As I'm sure God would have given this message to Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph. Just let God speak into your heart right now. I love that message. You are loved. Right in your moment, that's where you are. God was saying this to Elizabeth and Zachariah, Mary and Joseph in their situations, just as saying it to us. But how do you see God saying it to you? Look at Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Show trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love that God loves us with. When you see God talking to you in your mind, do you see him as this guy on a cloud reaching down with a handshake because that's not how God loves us. God loves us with the closest and warmest hug, a grip that's impossible to break with nothing coming between us and him. And that's the moment I believe God really wants to share with us this morning. A moment of pure love with God telling us not to give up, to reassure us, to love us and accept us. Just as he did with Elizabeth and Zachariah and Mary and Joseph. He held them close, just as he's holding us close this morning. The worship team are going to come back up. Um, and I really think it's important that we stand and we worship God in this moment. That we reach out to God and we accept his message in our hearts. Because a hug is a two-way thing. <laughs> Actually, we say that we love him too. And we reach out in our moments, no matter where we are. And we say that we love you, God. And we do this together as a congregation. So if you'd all just like to stand, that would be great.
just going to pray first. God, just thank you for your love that is there with us forever. That you're not going to give up on us. That you're constantly holding us close. You're reassuring us and you're loving us. God, thank you for always looking on us with favour and kindness. And God, thank you for always holding us close. Thank you for the greatest gift of all, which was your son. The greatest sign that you love us. In your name we pray these things, God.